My parents were born 12 days apart in 1925. They would have been 91 years old this year. It wasn't really all that long ago. We have quite a few parishioners who are still active in the practice of their faith, who are that older, older. Well, today's feast day only goes back to 1925. Not like the Feast of the Assumption, which goes back at least to the year 600. And having the Feast of Christ the King at the end of the church's year, in this last Sunday in Ordinary Time, portends for us the final victory of Christ, when he will put all things under his feet. That time that will be fulfilled when this world in the present age passes away, when the sky rolls up like a scroll, and when Christ the Lamb on the throne will make all things new. It's so obvious why this feast is at the end of the year, it's hardly worth mentioning. Because we already know that the full realization of the kingdom of Christ will not occur until the end of time. But guess what? This is not always where the feast of Christ the King was. And not only was it a new feast established in 1925, but it was established to be celebrated on the last Sunday in October. And it was not until 1969, which was the year that I graduated from high school, that it was moved to its present place in the church calendar, the last Sunday in ordinary time. Now, there's good reasons for moving it, but we might misinterpret the meaning of the feast if we emphasize only that final aspect of Christ's kingdom. When we look at today's gospel, what do we see? It doesn't seem like a king. We see a man condemned, beaten, flogged, crowned with thorns, nailed to a cross. And it's only in mockery that he's called a king, by the soldiers, by the inscription above his head, except by one man, a criminal, an evildoer, a thief. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It sure seems that this king, this king on a cross, is destined to rule only in the world to come. But when the Pope established this feast in 1925, he did so only a few years after the end of World War I, when atheistic communism had already swallowed up Russia and Joseph Stalin was, Joseph Stalin was beginning to kill tens of millions of people. Radical secularism had spread through Europe and was undermining the Christian foundations of that society. Fascism was taking over in Italy national socialism in Germany, as Adolf Hitler was about to come to power. And in the middle of all of this death, all of this evil, the Pope was not trying to make the obvious point that Christ would rule in the world to come. Not at all. He was trying to challenge the people of that time, trying to challenge all of the people of God, to protect and enhance and preserve a Christian society and to not fall prey to the empty promises of science, big government, and social Darwinism. This feast does not just hold out the distant promise of a kingdom that is to come, but challenges each one of us now at this very moment to not just pray thy kingdom come like it's something that 
will be thousands of years away, but to strive for that reign of Christ in the here and now, to refuse to accept the idea that faith is something that is confined to these four walls, but that it must be the salt and light and leaven of our human society. It challenges us to hold our elected officials accountable to the laws of God. It challenges us to not fall into the trap of thinking, this is my faith over here, and over here is my political affiliation. Just before the election, my son-in-law put it well on a Facebook post in which he said, no matter who wins the election, Christ is still king. Others have tried, in our own age, another way creating an earthly utopia by the destruction of Christian society, one based on the all-powerful state. And we have seen the great plans, the great leaps forward, the cultural revolutions, the denouncing of religion as the opiate of the masses. But the purveyors of communism, national socialism, Maoism, and all other social experiments that give no place for God discovered before long that brutalizing people into submission brought no fruit but bitter fruit, that their false compassion ended in the gas chambers and their social engineering in the killing fields. This feast should not just remind us of the perfect kingdom to come. We should think about heaven every day. We don't need a special feast for that. It should always be in our mind. But it should remind us and embolden us to proclaim Christ's kingdom now, to work for that kingdom now, to cast our vote, not just to protect our own interests, but to protect and respect all human life, born and unborn, the dignity of every human person, and the dignity and holiness of the human family. Look around the world. You can see that every society that is not based on Judeo-Christian teachings, always descends into injustice, oppression, violence, and a complete lack of compassion for human suffering. This should not make us feel smug or superior. We got something better than everybody else. But it should serve as a warning to us to not fall into that same thinking but to stake true to Christ who is king. We must not be timid in believing and proclaiming that Christ is king in the here and now, yes, to be fulfilled in the world to come, but he should be already king. If the power and the authority of Christ do not claim their rightful role, we will be allowing evil to triumph. Listen carefully to the prayers of the Mass today. In a few minutes, we will hear Father proclaim the words of the preface before the Eucharistic prayer, praying for a kingdom of truth and light, a kingdom of holiness and grace, a kingdom of justice, love, and peace. Such a kingdom requires a change of heart, of my heart and of your heart, and of the hearts of those that we meet. It's not a matter of just waiting for the second coming of Christ. 
you know, just sitting around and saying, you know, Lord, you'll deliver us from this eventually. No, it's a matter if we want justice to flow like a river, if we want freedom and respect for human life, for the sanctity of marriage, if we want our world to be at peace, we know that only Christ the King, whose weapons are the nails in his hands and the sword in his side, whose crown is that of thorns, whose throne is a splintery cross, a king before whom the powers of hell shrink back in fear, a king who conquered sin and death and hell when he rose from the grave, asking who will come one day to judge the living and the dead. Jesus, our gentle king, he forces no one. He coerces no choice. He crushes no freedom. He just gently calls our hearts to him. Only that king, only that king, only Christ the king has the answer. And I would challenge you to not leave this place this day. Do not leave before you have a renewed determination to give your heart, your family, your finances, your allegiance, your all to the only one who can save you. Christ the King, who is the only one who will bring a kingdom of truth and light, a kingdom of holiness and grace, a kingdom of justice and love and peace.